morning. I'm going to encourage you to open your Bibles to two places. So first you can open up to Genesis chapter 2, and then also you can open up to Ephesians chapter 5 and just have your finger set on that page. I'm going to see if I can do the same. Got it. As a church, we have uh, been studying for some weeks now through the beginning of our Bibles in the book of Genesis, looking at the uh, account of the creation of all things, uh, God setting all things to order for his design and for his purposes. And last week, uh, we heard in chapter 2 God's uh, good design in creation to bring uh, man and woman together in the unity of marriage. And this morning, our task is to, uh, to look at this text a little deeper and to see the connection that is made uh, throughout the New Testament. And in particular, we're going to focus on the Apostle Paul's work in his letter to the Ephesians. But I want us to, uh, to read at the outset in chapter 2 of Genesis to see the context in which God puts these things together. So we're going to read uh, starting in uh, verse 21 of chapter 2, and then we'll flip over to, Genesis cha- or to Ephesians 5. Church, this is the word of God for us. Genesis 2, verse 21. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from man, he made into woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were naked and were not Ashamed. Ephesians 5, starting in verse 22. Apostle Paul writes to the church, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, And is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ. So also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands love your wives. As Christ loved the church. And gave himself up for her. That he might sanctify her having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy 
and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. Because we are members of his body, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. May God bless the reading and preaching of his word. The context in which we find ourselves examining God's word this morning is, is set uh, in a place that, that is so necessary for us to understand this text in Ephesians. These, these exhortations, these commands given to the church by God for husbands to lead and love their wives and wives to love and submit and respect their husbands. We read Genesis 2 at the outset because we see God at the beginning of all things positioning mankind in the garden, setting the table for them for their flourishing, for their good. We heard last week in the sermon that that man in the garden was not good as he stood alone. So God provided a helpmate, a, a suitable helper for him, a companion for the flourishing of all of mankind. We must see that the plan, the plan and purpose of God in all things is to display his glory. God sets out at the beginning of our Bibles, at the beginning of time, on a mission for his glory to be displayed in all things. His glory to be revealed in the creation that he has made, and then through that creation in the work of redemption. God's mission is for his glory to be known and to be enjoyed. This is God's purpose at the outset. When, when our Bibles begin that, speaking that, that God speaks, he speaks with purpose and with plan. His purpose and plan is for his glory to be known and to be enjoyed. And so we see at the outset of creation God ordering and positioning all things in place for the purpose of the revealing of his glory and the enjoyment of it. And so what's critical for us to observe in our purposes this morning as we study our Bibles is that at the outset of God's purpose and plan to reveal his glory and the flourishing for mankind he establishes, he designs, he orders, and he puts in place an institution. 
he decides that for his glory to be revealed, known, and enjoyed, that he must establish an institution by which that glory can be fully known and therefore fully enjoyed. See, God designs human beings to be receivers and reflectors. He puts in place his most precious of all creation, mankind, the one with whom he bestows his effective love and purposes to be the one specifically purposed to receive the glory that he reveals in all that he has made. Specifically purposed to receive the glory revealed and then to know and reflect that glory throughout his creation. As image bearers, mankind is purposed by God to be receivers and reflectors of his glory so that it is known and enjoyed. And then God does a specific thing in that design of mankind. He says that for his glory to be fully revealed, known, and enjoyed, he will place mankind in his creation in an, in an environment that displays his character and nature as man set male and female. Equal in value and worth. Male and female, equal in the eyes of God as receivers and reflectors of glory, and yet distinct in their nature and role in his creation. That they would be this unified reflection of God's glory and distinct in their roles. Male and female, receivers and reflectors, valuable and worthy in God's eyes and yet distinct in their roles. Our passage this morning in Ephesians is a passage that serves to instruct the church on this fundamental relationship. This fundamental distinction because God then takes male and female and builds them into this relationship and this institution of marriage that will most profoundly display his character and nature and love for his creation. The marriage institution at the outset of our Bibles is God's purpose and plan for his glory to be known. And so these words that the apostle writes to the church later on in our Bibles are very instructive, not just for practical purposes in our homes, but because because the practical purposes of instruction for our marriage are set on a cosmic stage. The stage of God and his purposes for his glory to be revealed. Listen, our Bibles elevate the conversations of our living rooms to the arena of God's glory in the universe. What takes place in the unity of marriage is not simply held to your house. 
but is designed for God's display of his glory for all things to be known. So these instructions that Paul gives to to the institution of marriage, they have glorious purposes. Glorious purposes for God to be known, for redemption to be revealed, for flourishing to happen in mankind. God gives a profound picture in these verses to serve as a guiding display for marriages to to fulfill their purpose of reflecting joy. The main point for our text and our message this morning is is this this complementary design of men and women most profoundly displayed in marriage is, is God given for the flourishing of mankind and the display of God's glory. Now, let me just state this at the outset of this message. This text and its implications for us this morning are not popular in our current cultural moment. For me to walk out to the world and to read Genesis 2 and Ephesians 5 would not be popularly and well received in the cultural climate we find ourselves in, would it not? The rise of ideological feminism that has established opinions in our society, it cuts directly across the truths that are established here. So it is critical for the church, for us, to to hold fast to the biblical teaching and to live it out as a means of displaying God's glory to the world around us. Right? So so we hold fast to these things and and we don't we don't and this is difficult, I think, to find ourselves in. We don't hold fast to biblical truths in a, in a countercultural way because the church is designed to be in opposition to the culture. That's not the purpose of the church. The church isn't supposed to just take the truths of God and try to yell louder than the world. That's not why we're here. The church is designed to be an an outpost of of heavenly realities. To to be this this beacon of light and truth and flourishing in the midst of a culture that, as Pastor Eric prayed, is confused. We hold to biblical truths not to be in direct opposition to the culture— even though we find ourselves at times and increasingly so opposed to the opinions of culture, but, but to, to be a display of truth and light. The, the church is, is to be more like an oasis in the desert or a warm home in the middle of a winter storm, a place where truth abounds and flourishing takes place that although opposed to the opinions of the world may be attractive 
to the world and inviting to come in and see what happens when we live by God's order and his ways. And so these things may not be popular and, and this text before us is, is not complicated, right? This text doesn't, doesn't necessarily boggle the mind, but it, it does step on the toes. We must see that, that this design for, for husbands, men, to lead their wives in humble, loving ways, and for wives to generously submit to their husband's leadership is not a result of a patriarchal society is not a result of historical trends for men designing things to be dominant. It is, it is not a response to history. It is established at the outset of history. God's purpose, God's design for his glory and for our flourishing. And so may we position ourselves with humble ears and, and soft hearts to receive these things, that God's design for men and women to live in complementary relationship together is for his glory and for our flourishing. Now, let me give you a few statements that bring clarity to what we believe the Bible is teaching. And our statement of faith, which we share with Sovereign Grace Churches, it, it says these way better than I. It was written by men way smarter than I and more articulate than I. So these are longer statements, but I I believe they will serve us. Statement of faith says this, men and women are both made in the image of God and are equal before him in dignity and worth. Gender designated by God through our biological sex is therefore neither incidental to our identity nor fluid in its definition, but is essential to our identity as male and female. Although the fall distorts and damages God's design for gender and its expression, these remain part of the beauty of God's created order. Men and women reflect and represent God in distinct and complementary ways, and these differences are to be honored and celebrated in all dimensions of life. To deny or seek to remove these differences is to distort a fundamental way in which we glorify God as male and female. This denial that our culture sets itself against these things is a denial, is as Romans 1 puts it, a suppression of truth and a pushing away of God. And we, church, we want to stand not in direct opposition to culture, but in place of the truth of God because these things are meant for our good and his glory. Now, the statement of faith goes on and gives clarity to how God then takes these these distinct complementary positions of male and female and places them in the institution of marriage. Statement of faith continues. Biblical manhood and womanhood enrich human flourishing in all its dimensions. God instituted marriage as the union of one man and one woman 
who complement each other in a one flesh union that ultimately serves as a type of the union between Christ and his church. This remains the only normative pattern of sexual relations for humanity. Husbands are to exercise headship sacrificially and with humility. And wives are to serve as helpers to their husbands, willingly supportive and submitting to their leadership. Together, these complementary roles bring joy and blessing to each other and display the beauty of God's purposes to the world. So, God did not choose marriage as a useful illustration to describe the bond between Christ and the church. God created marriage so he could reveal the relationship between Christ and the church. God establishes it. This is what Pastor Pat said last week. Marriage is to display for the world God's gracious, sacrificial, committed love for his people, the church, which he calls his bride. That's what marriage is for. A sign and a display. And so we're going we're gonna to look specifically at these things. But, but let me just give a, a bit of word to those this morning who are not married. Whether you are young and waiting. Whether you are widowed. Whether you are divorced. This institution of marriage is meant to serve you still. These words and these instructions to be applied in the institution of marriage are still meant to serve your hearts as a sign of God's love to his people to propel you further into obedience and commitment to Jesus. And so we listen along the unmarried among us and observe how God designed the display of his love to be made known among us through our marriages. So husbands, let's start with you. You guys remember the old Bugs Bunny cartoon? Way back in the day where it's demonstrated, I think this was during like the, the, the tortoise and the hare one, and they show Bugs Bunny like playing tennis by himself. Like he serves it up and he runs to the other side to receive the serve. That's how I feel getting ready to give these words of exhortation to husbands. I'd much rather be listening than speaking and receiving because I feel I need it so. Husbands, what does it mean for husbands to lovingly lead their wives as God calls us? Verse 25 in chapter 5 may be, I think, the most intimidating verse for a husband to read. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. What a humbling and glorious call is placed on us Husbands, we are called 
to lovingly lead our brides as Christ has loved his church. It is a daunting responsibility, and the reality is none of us can fulfill this command perfectly. We read it, and we might be quite aware instantaneously of how much we fall short. But this display and this call to love like Jesus loved is is a reminder of grace as well. So let us be encouraged to lean in to this question. What does it mean for us to lovingly lead our husbands or our wives? First, we must see that Paul and God has given us an example to follow. We are to love our wives looking to Jesus, looking to him for grace and looking for him as one to follow. The gospel this benevolent display of God's generous grace to us is a source of encouragement as we seek to live out this command. Grace is provided for us in this call. And so we are given the role to lead in marriage and it is best fulfilled as the role of leader as we understand first what it means to follow. If we want to lead our wives, we must follow our savior we look to the one to the example of jesus and what we find is the preeminent display of humble sacrificial servant leadership christ has poured out his love for his church and displayed that in humble sacrificial servant leadership to be a husband that leads his wife is to be a servant leader and so there are ways that we do this we are called to love them let me give you a few we are to love her graciously the love we extend to our helpmates is not based on performance so often struggles in marriages are hung up because of misunderstood expectations and merit based love that's not how we are to lead in our marriages husbands we are to be intentional to let our wives know our affections for them are not withheld for when they meet our expectations We are to be intentional to communicate in word and in gesture that our affection, our attention, and our love for our wives is not bound up in how she holds up her end of the deal. The savior does not wait for the church to fix herself up and perform to a standard. He graciously loves her right where she is. And so to lead generously and graciously in our marriage we follow the savior's lead and we love our wives in gracious ways we are to love her sacrificially the savior serves as a model for love and we see that he is a sacrificing savior we are to display for our wives a 
clear love that is self-sacrificing. The calling of the husband is the kind of love that will be costly. Men, husbands, we are to love our wives in sacrificial, costly ways. To recognize our marriage is not for ourselves only, but to lay aside our great wants to love our wives. Gary Ricucci, in his excellent book written with his wife, Love That Last, he says these words to husbands. Loving your wife means laying down your life for her, for her greatest good, for the rest of your life. Each day, ask yourself, is there some way I can give of myself to serve my wife? Where do I see selfishness in my life that hinders unreserved love for my wife? Am I withholding something of myself that would bless my wife, my attention, my affection, or my creativity? What is God calling me to give up because it diverts my attention and affection from my wife? Those are costly questions, aren't they? Challenging questions. We look to the Savior and his grace and his display to answer questions like these, recognizing that they are for the love of our wives and the glory of God and the flourishing in our marriages. We love her sacrificially. We love her graciously. We love her redemptively. These words that we have before us in verse 26 says that we might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor. This model of Christ Washing the church by the truth of his word is a model for husbands to love and emulate the Savior, to encourage our wives, to pray for our wives, to position our wives in a place that they might grow in sanctifying ways. Are, are we shaping, are we, are we leading the rhythm of our marriages in such a way that it helps our wives to see the goodness of God, to see their own sin, to see forgiveness, and to see the Savior. Husband, this is your job as leader, to continually hold up in your marriage the wonderful eagerness of God through his word to cleanse us and sanctify us. And we find that that pursuit in our marriages is a sanctifying work on ourselves. How many of you have discovered that in marriage you have found sanctifying discoveries? <laughs> Maybe you were like me, you were, you, you were going along pretty well, and you're thinking, you know, I'm a pretty good guy. I'm pretty nice. I'm kind to others. And then God gives me a wife in his kindness, and I go, I'm kind of a jerk. <laughs> and then God gives us kids, and it's like, I'm kind of a loud jerk. <laughs> Marriage has a way of exposing, right, and revealing. 
And husbands, we, we are to take that exposing and revealing and to bring it before our wives in humble love and pushing us together to grow more and more like Christ. Husbands, we are to love her with understanding. We are called to love our wives in this text, as it says, to love our own bodies. We have no problem knowing specifically what we want when we want it. Because we have an intimate understanding of ourselves, right? We know what we want in any given moment. And we are called to love our wives in such a way. A kind of love where we are, are giving up of our self wants to know and serve the wants of our wives. Peter says, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. Men, this requires effort. It requires listening and seeking to understand our wives, to know, do you know her temptations? Do you know her burdens? Do you know her stresses and her cares? Study your wives. Seek these things out and love her in the midst of those things. Leading her in those. This type of understanding, this type of consideration will lead to humble communication, which will yield a fruit of appreciation in your marriage. And husbands, we are to love her with honor. Paul says this nourishing and cherishing that is to take place in our marriages is this active care of seeking to know and meet the needs of our wives and to honor her regularly. Husbands, we are to actively serve our wives and express appreciation for them. And Paul speaks in this text of the splendor of the church in which Christ delights to observe. It is a model for us that as husbands, we are to actively and eagerly delight in the splendor of our wives, in the beauty that they display externally and internally. We are to actively seek to observe the splendor in her and honor and delight in that. And honor must be expressed. We must tell her. We must show her. Honor not expressed is not honor. I have too often left the love and appreciation that I have for my wife just based on the premise of assumption. She knows I love her. She knows I think she's beautiful. She knows I am in awe of her display of Jesus. She knows I am admiring her, her continual looking out for the needs of others and seeking ways to bless people. Not if I don't let her know. Not if I don't encourage that in her. Tell her that. Write a note. Give a gift. Speak words that honor your wife in front of her and in front of others. 
as a way to lovingly lead. Okay, men, take a breath. Ladies, your turn. What does it mean for wives to lovingly submit to their husbands? Wives, as we read in this text, verse 22, are sub to submit to your own husbands, to the particular one that God has placed to be united to you in this institution of marriage. Carolyn Mahaney in her book, Feminine Appeal, says this, Submission in its simplest form is trust in God, who is completely trustworthy. He is our loving Father who controls every detail of our lives, past, present, and future. He lavishes us with goodness and blessing, and he measures our pain and adversity all for our good and his glory. Wives, to submit to your husbands is to trust the Lord and his good plan and design. And Paul continues in verse 22, after this command to submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Submitting to the God-given leader that your husband is, is a trust in the Lord and a trust unto the Lord. Brian Chappell, in his commentary on this, says it this way, Wives, your relationship for your husband find its source not in who he is or what he does or how deserving he is. The relationship to which God calls you has its source in your relationship with the Savior. The desire for fulfilling your responsibility must be rooted in the desire you have to please God. Wives, if you wait for your husbands to be worthy of your humble submission, you will continue to wait. <laughs> but if it is grounded and rooted in a trust in God and a trust unto the Lord, then this command for you to submit to your husbands finds underneath of it, in it and around it, the grace of God for you to walk in step and for your good. And so wives, you can humbly and lovingly submit to your husbands. And all of this is built into this understanding of this love between the Savior and his bride, the church. There is love in and through and around. And so, wives, we, we cultivate love as a means to humbly submit. We, we take the posture of cleaving to our husbands as this, this means of pursuing to love him more deeply and affectionately. Titus chapter 2 verse 4 says this, So train the young women to love their husbands. There is effort that is at play here. In, in marriage, this, this leaving and cleaving is taking the posture of an intentional pursuit of deepening the effectual love you have for your husbands. Wives, how are you being 
intentional to grow deep in your love and affection for your husband. A couple of ways to cultivate this. One, pray for him. Pray for him. Wives, develop a habit of regularly praying for your husband. Praying for him in his leadership. Praying for him in his call to lovingly lead you in your marriage. The call for him to live up to this, this great exhortation that he has before him. Pray for him in that. Deepen your affection for him by studying him, knowing him, knowing his burdens and knowing his joys. Understanding where he is at and the struggles that he faces and let that fuel your prayers for him. Wives, we cultivate a deep love for our husbands as we intentionally seek to display affection for him. How do we encourage our husbands? How do we let him know that we are eager for him to grow in the call to be a leader and for us to humbly come under his leadership with respect and care to him? We must express our affections for one another in marriage. Affection left unexpressed is affection unknown. Seek to be intentional in this. And Paul closes our text in verse 33 with this call for wives to respect their husbands. And the text in verse 33 is... Again, not a complicated verse. It's pretty clear. Let the wife see that she respects her husbands. Wives, we must be careful with a verse like this not to read our Bibles and to insert our own personal footnotes. Let her seek that she respects her husband. Well, unless, of course... You have my husband who does X, Y, and Z. Footnote one. Or, well, I'll respect him maybe after he's kind of met these expectations that I've set up. I will show affectionate respect for him when he finally gets it. Sisters, we need to cultivate respect for our husbands by remembering that God has positioned them for his purposes and for your good. So you ask ourselves, am I more aware of my husband's shortcomings or his strengths? Am, am I more apt to criticize or to commend? The respect that God's word places on as a responsibility for wives to their husband is a respect that should be intentionally sought and cultivated. These questions will be met with God's grace. Grace is what we find. And so husbands and wives, we seek, we seek to display this profound mystery 
that God has instituted. And we must remember that the profound mystery is preeminently a display of redeeming grace. Marriages as a sign and a reflection of Christ's love for his bride. This love that sent the Son to earth to take upon himself the sins of mankind, to to sacrificially die himself, to die in the place of sinners, to generously and graciously redeem them in relationship to himself. That is the context in which our marriages are set, in the context of redeeming grace. So let us, let us not, husbands and wives, find this text a heavy burden, but a, a gracious call by God to step into his purpose and plan of receiving and reflecting glory in our marriages for our good, for our flourishing. The efforts that we take to cultivate and to obey these exhortations will be met by the grace of God. And so, husbands and wives, if, if we observe this week efforts and changes, let us not go, well, they're only doing that because of the sermon that they heard this week. <laughs> Don't do that. Don't do that. Meet that with encouragement and with commendation, with grace that God provides in our marriages. And church, let us be a place that holds up marriage to the, the elevated state on which God places it, that we would hold these truths close and with reverence and with awe. Let me invite all of the husbands to just stand for a second. Husbands, please stand up. Brothers. Brothers, let me commend and exhort by God's word. Because as I look at you men, there is much to commend. I, as a husband, need you. And I, as a husband, am encouraged by you because you men put on display for me regularly what it looks like to lovingly lead my wife. As you lovingly lead your wife, you serve my soul and encourage me to obey these commands of God and to love my wife. So let me first commend you and then let me exhort you. Brothers, let us step ever further in these commands this week, this month, 
this year. Let us not, let us not take up the call to lead with a domineering hand and let us not abdicate the responsibility either. But let us be men that prayerfully, humbly, sacrificially seek to love our brides as Jesus has loved the church as a means to display the glory of God in this church and to the world around us. Wives, can I encourage you to stand up? Sisters, thank you. Thank you, as I look around and see your faces, for your example and encouragement to my wife. She has expressed to me what she can observe in this church by you wives, and it serves her soul to grow into what it means to be a loving, submissive, honoring wife because of your example. Thank you, sisters. And let me exhort you by God's word that this week, this month, this year, sisters, that you would step into God's call for your flourishing and for his glory to lovingly submit and honor and respect your husbands, that you would look at the example of what the church is called to be for the husband, Jesus himself, that you would step into that ever further for the flourishing of this church and the display of God's glory to the community around us. Church, all of you, please stand. Join your brothers and sisters. And as a church, let us be committed by God's word to honoring the institution of marriage that God has set forth as a means of the flourishing of the good of this church and the glory of God together. Let's pray together. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you for the glorious display of Jesus' sacrificial love for his bride, the church, for us. Laying down his life to redeem us in relationship to him, that we might cleave to him for all our days until we celebrate that eternal marriage in heaven. May you encourage and strengthen the marriages of this church. May we as a church uphold this institution as a means of displaying your glory for our good from this day forward. Help us by your spirit, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.